Welcome to the 357th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. Stay tuned for my interview with New York Times bestselling thriller writer, Brian Freeman. Brian's novel in the Robert Ludlum Jason Bourne series, The Bourne Evolution, was named one of the best mysteries and thriller novels of 2020. Stay tuned for the interview. The Reading and Writing Podcast is brought to you by Libro FM. Libro.fm lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. You can pick from more than 185,000 audiobooks, including bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers. You'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there, but you'll be part of a different story one that supports your local community and your local bookstore. If you're new to audiobooks, they're the perfect way to get more books into your busy life. You can listen during your commute, while doing chores, walking the dog, or just relaxing at home. All you need is a smartphone and the free Libro.fm app. If you already love audiobooks and don't know what to listen to next, check out recommendations and curated lists from people who know audiobooks best, your local bookseller. Here's your special offer from the Reading and Writing Podcast. Get two audiobooks for the price of one today with your first month of membership with the code RWPODCAST at checkout. This offer is only valid for new members in Canada and the U.S., Check out Libro.fm today. Well, welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Brian Freeman. Brian is the author of many psychological thriller novels, including the Jonathan Stride and Frost Easton series. His books have been sold in 46 countries and 22 languages. His standalone novel, Spilled Blood, won the award for Best Hardcover Novel in the annual Thriller Awards. And Brian has written the latest in the Jason Bourne series, The Bourne Evolution, which has just been published. Brian, welcome to the podcast. Thanks a lot. Happy to be here. Great. Well, if someone listening hasn't heard about The Bourne Evolution yet, how would you describe your new Jason Bourne novel? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, this is an all-new take on Jason Bourne, so the book really stands on its own. Readers can dive right in. They don't have to have read the earlier books or, or even seen the Matt Damon movies. Really, in this book, what I was trying to do is is go back to Ludlum's original vision and bring his Jason Bourne, the, the character we got to know in The Bourne Identity, back to life, but kind of put that character down in the modern era and build a whole new modern day plot around him. So uh, I think for fans of, of Ludlum, uh, it's going to feel very familiar. It'll feel like Jason Bourne, but the story itself uh, is all new, so you can dive right in. And as someone who has written many successful thriller novels, can you tell us how did you get the job to write a Jason Bourne novel? Yeah, this was such an amazing opportunity. You know, honestly, I, I've been a, a Ludlum fan my whole life, and uh, I can remember reading The Bourne Identity for the first time all the way back in 1980 when I was, what, 17 years old. And if you had told me back then that 40 years later, uh, a book would be coming out that had both Ludlum's name and my name on the cover, I would have said, oh, you're crazy. 
so, uh, but uh, yeah, I got a I got a, a call from my agent. Oh, probably uh, a year and a half ago, telling me that uh, that Putnam was going to be looking to do a uh, sort of a reboot of the Jason Bourne series, and they were looking for a writer. And was I interested in having my hat tossed into the ring? And uh, you know, this is uh, uh, this is one of the great opportunities in the thriller world. So I said, uh, absolutely, let's let's go after it. And uh, uh, it it kind of went into a black box. There was uh, there was dead silence for the next three months or so and uh, i was starting to think well they've they've decided to go another way which is perfectly fine uh but uh, then i got a call from my agent uh, last february and uh, she said five words that uh, uh, will linger in my memory for a long time putnam wants you for born and uh, that was how everything got started wow so what was your experience like writing a born novel compared to one of your other thriller novels is, is it possible for you to give us kind of a behind-the-scenes look, so to speak? Did you have to create a detailed outline that gets approved by Putnam for the Born Evolution? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It um, on, on one hand, it, it was it was different because it's obviously you know kind of inhabiting somebody else's world, and, and yet on the other hand, uh, I'm I've written a lot of thrillers, and uh, and so the writing process and the development process felt uh, pretty normal. Um, you know, people have asked, was it hard getting inside the head of somebody else's character? Uh, and honestly, in in a lot of ways, I, I've known Jason Bourne even longer than I've known any of my own characters because. Uh, he he and I go back what four decades now, uh, but um, but in in dealing with kind of how to put it together, yeah, the first thing I did was talk over with the folks at Putnam, you know, what I thought we could do with with Born in this reboot, and uh, so I came up with uh, a plot concept. I wrote some sample chapters that they could run by the estate, uh, and the estate loved what uh, what I was doing with it and the direction that I wanted to go, and and so I, I started diving into the book. And um, yeah, I, I do an outline in this case, and I, I always do when I'm writing a new book, um, but I, I don't try, I don't kind of, you know, handcuff myself with the outline. Uh, I kind of create more of a roadmap that gives me benchmarks of where I want to be during the course of the narrative. And then as I'm writing, uh, it gives me more of a chance for the, the, the characters to take over and the, and the story to evolve. And I can kind of massage the suspense and the drama as I'm going along. So uh, it's kind of a, it's a combination of the outline process and, and uh, sort of developing it spontaneously as I write. And so was it similar in that respect to uh, one of your other thriller, no thriller novels um, in terms of how you um, outlined and then, and then wrote? Yeah, in process, I think it was very similar to the to the, the way my other books have flowed. Um, you know, what really made this one different was obviously the fact that uh, I was filling big shoes uh, in in writing a Robert Ludlum novel, and uh, and and my thrillers tend to be very psychological in nature, so they're kind of inside the heads of the character, and uh, and that works well for a hero like. Jason Bourne, who's who's very conflicted and and struggling with his identity. Uh, on the other hand, you know, writing sort of a, a Ludlum action thriller, the it's the story tends to be very adrenaline fueled, a lot of action scenes, uh, and uh, there's less of that in sort of the, the psychological thrillers I typically write. So I was I, I really focused on kind of figuring out how to to block out action scenes and and make it read in in the most authentic and suspenseful way possible. So did it ever worry you that Jason Bourne is almost a superhero now, especially with the films? How do you create tension and suspense in a Bourne novel? 
Yeah, I, I I was thinking a lot about all of the different iterations of Jason Bourne. I mean, you figure we've had so many different sort of visions of Bourne in the last 40 years. You had three Robert Ludlum novels. Uh, you had another 11 novels from Eric von Lusbader. And then, of course, you have all those great Matt Damon films. And I think that when you watch the movies yeah you're you're seeing more of the uh, more of the superhero jason bourne kind of the the isolated loner who can uh, who who can do no wrong and i don't think that was really ludlum's original vision so i really wanted to go back to you know who this character was and and what has made him such an enduring figure and i think that really relates to his his humanity and his struggle and 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 the issue of him having lost his memory and really trying to figure out who he is as a person. I think that's one of the reasons that readers really relate to him, and and that's what I was kind of trying to bring back in this book. And so, what are your earliest memories of reading in books? Oh boy, I. Uh, uh, I, I've been a reader and writer my whole life. I, I can remember working on my first mystery novel when I was uh, in, in sixth grade. So uh, this, this goes back a long ways. Uh, I grew up uh, reading in the 70s with a lot of the big dramatic authors. I loved folks like uh, James Mishner, Irving Wallace, Leon Uris, authors like that. And uh, Ludlum was always one of my big favorites. I can remember, oh gosh, I was probably just a, a young teenager. I bought a copy of the Chancellor manuscript in paperback uh, by Ludlum. And uh, I, I started reading it as I was walking out of the drugstore, and I already had my head down reading the book. And I don't think I put it down for another 10 hours until I finished it. And uh, I can remember thinking back then that, uh, you know, that's, that's what I would love to do is be able to, to grip people with, uh, with, with that kind of experience. And just to circle back a moment to the, to the Bourne novels, um, how – how uh, much did you read the three Ludlum Bourne novels in preparation to write your your Jason Bourne novel? Sure, sure. Yeah, I, the first thing I did, honestly, as this opportunity arose, was go back and, and reread all of the original Ludlum novels. Uh, but I, I know the I know the Bourne identity pretty well. I've I've read it many times in the course of my life. It, it's really one of my all time favorite thrillers. Uh, I, I'm such a Bourne aficionado that I can still remember when. Uh, uh, Matt Damon was not Jason Bourne. It was actually Richard Chamberlain who was Jason Bourne in uh, an ABC miniseries in, in 1988. So uh, I've, uh, I've followed Bourne pretty closely for a lot of years. Great. So what was your path to writing and publishing your first novel? What was your journey to publication and, and, and eventually seeing your first book published and seeing it on a bookstore shelf? Yeah, yeah, that was that was such a that was such a long road, but uh, I, I I learned a lot along the way. I, I, honestly, it goes all the way back to when I was a kid. I uh, I had a great eighth grade composition teacher who really recognized my love of writing, and uh, she she did something I think these days with all the standardized tests and curricula a, a teacher could never do. She said, uh, you know, when you come to my class, don't worry so much about the lesson plans; just just sit there and write your stories. And that was what I did for most of her class. And uh, after that class, I started in on my first full-length novel that summer and spent 18 months finishing that. And, uh, and from that moment forward, that was really what I wanted to do with my life. But, uh, but, you know, gosh, publishing has always been such a, such a tough industry to, to break in. And uh, I actually wrote five books in the course of my life before I even started in on the, uh, on the book that became my breakthrough book, uh, which was my debut, Immoral. And uh, boy, there were so many days where I was thinking, God, why am I 
banging my head against the door of this crazy, crazy business. But uh, uh, I kept at it. I, I, I knew I needed to try again. And, and I wrote uh, I wrote the manuscript for Immoral. And, uh, you know, things happen for a reason and, and uh, they, they happen in the right time frame. Right around the time that I finished the manuscript of Immoral, I uh, found out totally by accident that uh, one of the folks in the in the London office of the uh, the firm I was working at was going to be going to a, a college alumni event with a woman who was an agent at one of London's largest literary agencies. So I sprang into action and uh, sent him off an email and asked if he'd make an introduction for me and see if this agent would take a look at my book. And uh, he was gracious enough to uh, to, to say yes, and uh, uh, Allie was drunk enough to agree. And uh, so uh, I, I sent her the manuscript, and, uh, uh, you know, I was thinking that, uh, you know, I... It'll be weeks, and I've been down this road all sorts of times. Well, uh, just a few days later, I got an email from Allie herself saying uh, I uh, stayed up until one in the morning finishing the book, uh, couldn't put it down. I've already been in touch with a UK publisher saying, this guy's the next Harlan Coben. I want to represent you. Call me immediately. And uh, Wow. So I, I peeled myself off the ceiling and, and called her, and uh, uh, and uh, Allie was like, yes, yes, darling, I, I, I love the book. I'll deal with the U.K. sale. I don't anticipate any problems. My agency will deal with international rights. And, you know, I've, I've got an agent in New York. That- you know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. That I'd like to work with on the U.S. deal, who also handles Jeffrey Deaver, and I'd like her to do the U.S. sale if that would be acceptable. And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that would be okay. So uh, they went out and and about four weeks later, we had uh, two book deals in both the US and UK. And uh, and then I started getting these little notes from uh, from London saying, we've sold the rights to your book in Germany, and we've sold the rights to your book in Sweden, and we've sold the rights to your book in Italian. And, uh, and then Bookspan, which at the time owned book clubs all over the world, they selected Immoral as their international book of the month. And so Immoral became the main selection in the Literary Guild and the Book of the Month Club and, and book clubs all over the world. And uh, when the dust had settled, we'd sold the rights to Immoral in 17 languages. Uh, so after all those years of knocking on the door, that was uh, an amazing way to get started. Well, while you were knocking on the door and writing those um, novels before Immoral, uh, were there areas of fiction writing and novel writing that you had to kind of learn or figure out, whether it be characterization or plotting or dialogue or setting? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I really look back on those books that are still sitting in my nightstand drawer, and and I think of those as uh, as kind of me cutting my teeth creatively and figuring out the kinds of stories that I wanted to tell and and the kinds of characters I wanted to develop. And uh, and I always felt that uh, the, the the best learning process was to to read carefully the the, the authors that you love and uh, and and really look at how they build out their stories and their characters and, and, and figure out how they are, are creating their scenes and, and then try to learn those lessons uh, and, and merge them with your own style and, uh, and, and go from there. 
And so I noticed the novels, The Agency and West 57th on your website. <laughs> those, those seem definitely like a departure for someone who's yeah. writing a Jason Bourne novel. Can you tell me the story <laughs> on writing those two? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Just a little bit different from Jason Bourne. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned my agent, Allie, and uh, and and uh, she she was out of London and she had always wanted to write uh, a novel set in the publishing industry. But she wasn't a writer. She was an agent. And so she approached me in the late 2000s asking, you know, would I be interested in, in tackling something like that with her? And uh, I thought it sounded like a, a fun, creative stretch to write something that was, frankly, closer to chiclet than anything I'd ever done. And and uh, so uh, I came up with a, a concept and and uh, and and wrote the book and uh, we released it. I think it was probably 2008, 2009. And uh, we had such a fun run with the agency. It got a great review in People magazine. And uh, uh, it was it, it was it was a hoot to write. I hope it's a hoot to read. But, yeah, totally unlike anything I've ever done. And um, and honestly, I wrote. West 57, which is kind of a follow-up novel to that, um, it was, I, I actually, uh, I actually lost my agent, Allie. She passed away very, very unexpectedly at a very young age, uh, in, uh, in 2014. And, uh, I sort of wrote West, v- with West 57 as, as almost a tribute to her, uh, because it was sort of a follow-up novel to the agency. But, but after that, it, it was kind of hard to think about writing in that vein again, because so much a part of that was, uh, was trying to capture, uh, the, the wonderful quirky voice that Allie had. Sure. That's, that's sad to hear. So what writing advice would you offer for listeners who are writing their own stories and novels? Well, th- there's a couple things. I mean, one is that uh, the, the first piece of advice I give sounds, uh, sounds routine, but I always say that uh, 100% of unwritten books have never been published. Uh, and uh, I, think that's, I think that's important because we as writers tend to be our own worst enemies. I mean, we tend to psych ourselves out. And uh, I talk to so many aspiring writers that they'll get kind of 50 pages into a project and they'll lose confidence and they'll put it aside and they'll take up something else. And I always tell them, you know, sooner or later, uh, writing is, is still a function of, of uh, your, your backside and a chair and some super glue because you, you still need to sit in front of that keyboard and get the book done. So I, I always tell folks, you know, don't let your, your, your self-doubt get in the way of what you want to do. You got to sit down. You got to get that project finished. And, and once you do, uh, I think you'll find a, a level of satisfaction that, that helps you in so many ways. And, and maybe the book that comes out of it will be great. And maybe it'll just be one of those ones that gets filed away in your nightstand. But it's important to kind of get those words on the page. And so are you working on another novel now? <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm actually writing a total of three books this year, which is it, I, I still find sort of horrifying to contemplate. But I've I've already wrapped up uh, a, another standalone thriller that I'm I'm really really excited about that'll come out in the spring, and I'm simultaneously now writing the second Jason Bourne novel and another uh, uh, Audible original for Audible. So I've got a lot coming up in the pipeline, and then my next Jonathan Stride novel uh, is in my in my Stride series is coming out in September. So uh, I've got a lot of things to keep readers busy. (laughs) So what novels or nonfiction books have you read recently that you enjoyed? Yeah. You know, that's, that's the interesting thing about, you know, making a living as a suspense writer is that uh, I I can't really read other people's suspense novels anymore. I mean, I used to be such a fan of the genre, but when you write 
the suspense all day long, curling up in bed with somebody else's suspense novel kind of starts to feel like work. So uh, I, I do meet, read much more nonfiction, history, biographies, memoirs, things like that. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm in a very lighthearted mood right now. So I'm reading uh, Midnight in Chernobyl uh, about the Chernobyl disaster. And uh, uh, I, I, I guess I'm not, you know, 2020 wasn't depressing enough. I, I needed to go and find something that was uh, even worse. Uh, but it's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing book and it's extraordinary to kind of go behind the scenes on what happened then. So where can people find you online if they'd like to learn more about you and your novels? Yeah, they can find me pretty well everywhere. Uh, my website is bfreemanbooks.com. That's all one word, bfreemanbooks.com. Uh, they can find me on Twitter and Instagram uh, under the handle bfreemanbooks. Uh, and they can go over to Facebook. They can find my Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash bfreemanfans. Uh, so everywhere you go, uh, you're going to find me. And I, I love interacting with readers. So I always encourage folks to uh, uh, to send me email and post on my my page and, and send me Twitter comments. Uh, I, I love to hear from people that have read the books. Great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Brian Freeman, the author of many great thriller novels and the author of the new Jason Bourne novel, The Bourne Evolution. The novel is available now, so go buy a copy. And Brian, thanks for doing this interview. Thank you so much. Now stay tuned for a brief excerpt from the audiobook of Robert Ludlum's The Bourne Evolution. Written by Brian Freeman, narrated by Scott Brick. Published by Penguin Audio and available wherever audiobooks are sold. The man in black lifted his binoculars and studied the rain-swept boardwalk. The benches that stretched along Dufferin Terrace, on the cliffside looming over the lower town and the St. Lawrence River, were empty. His contact hadn't arrived yet, but that was to be expected. It was only 9.15 and he'd told her to be on the boardwalk at ten o'clock. He wanted the extra time to survey the meeting ground and see if he was walking into a trap. He'd left a car behind near the port and then taken the funicular to the Hauteville. Now he stood like an invisible man in the darkness, behind a stone wall on the hill of the citadel. Cold rain sheeted from the sky, blurring the nighttime lights of Quebec City. A fierce wind rattled the winter skeletons of the trees, drowning out the other sounds with its moan. In front of him, the Chateau Frontenac Hotel rose like a medieval castle. At the base of the cliff, the lower town's ribbon of lights glittered beside the great dark stain of the river. Along the boardwalk, a row of antique cannons aimed their muzzles out over the water, as if anticipating the return of American invaders. The cannons weren't wrong. The Americans were here somewhere, looking for him. Where are you hiding? He waited, patient and motionless, not reacting to the cold or the wetness of his clothes or the bite of the wind. He'd trained himself to be immune to such things. He used the binoculars to examine every window, every doorway, every shadow or corner where someone could hide. Even the best operatives usually made mistakes. The flicker of a match as a cigarette was lit, the swish of a curtain, a footprint in the mud. When he'd completed his survey, he repeated it two more times, and he still saw nothing to alarm him. He was starting to feel safe. Then someone screamed. He tensed, but this was a happy scream, mixed with laughter. A young couple, 
drenched by the downpour, ran hand in hand along the glistening boardwalk below him. They took shelter under one of the canopies next to the cliff, where they began kissing passionately. He zoomed in on their faces under the gazebo lights. Both were in their twenties, both attractive. The woman had pink and blonde hair that was pasted over her face, and she had the lean, strong build of a runner, wearing skin-tight leggings. The man with her was several inches taller and had black hair and a long, deep scar on his cheek. He tried to decide who they were. Two armless tourists? Or two killers? The truth was usually in the eyes. He watched carefully to see if either of them broke cover long enough to throw a surreptitious glance at their surroundings. But if this was a performance for his benefit, they stayed in character. When they'd kissed for a while, they walked back into the rain. Each looked at the other with a hungry grin, the way lovers would. They headed north toward the Grand Hotel. That was when he saw his contact arrive on the boardwalk. She was early. She walked down the steps from Governor's Park, seemingly not bothered by the rain that pummeled her. A large leather satchel purse hung from her shoulder. She reached the walkway just as the young couple passed in front of her, and he worried that the timing was too perfect. He could picture it all happening. A pistol in the hand of the man with a scar. One shot, no chance to run, his contact collapsing with a bullet in her throat. He yanked his own gun into his hand and prepared to dive down the citadel slope, even though he was too far away to stop what was about to happen. Except he was wrong. The young couple waved at the woman. She smiled back. They were simply three strangers enjoying the romance of the rain. There was no ambush, no gunfire. He watched the couple continue on their way to the Chateau Frontenac, and his contact crossed the boardwalk to the gazebo, where he'd told her to wait. She grabbed her phone from her purse and checked the time. Then she stared at the hillside in his direction with her hands on her hips. He knew she couldn't see him, but she had the look of someone who could feel that she was being watched. He examined her closely through the binoculars. The journalist named Abby Laurent was a couple of years past 30, medium height and a little skinny. She wore a waist-length jean jacket over a white t-shirt, forest green cargo pants, and black calf boots. Her hair was colored to a deep dark red, falling in wet strands to her shoulders and across her forehead in spiky bangs. She wore lipstick that was as dark red as her hair, and her mouth was folded into a curious smirk, as if she were enjoying the excitement of what she was doing. Her eyes were dark, and they were smart eyes that didn't miss a thing. She pushed some of the buttons on her phone. A second later, his own phone buzzed. She'd sent him a text. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.